because our thoughts control our emotions, which control our physiological response, which ultimately control our performance. And so it's imperative that we, we learn to master our thoughts. So one, surround yourself with people who are going to allow you to have that positive self-talk. Two, it's like you said, it's, it's pouring yourself into the truth. Hello, and welcome to Before the Lights podcast, stories behind high performers. I'm your host, Brittany Wilson. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Drew Tranquil, a successful Division I athlete and football player at the University of Notre Dame. He currently is pursuing a fifth year at Notre Dame and has goals to play in the NFL. Drew's story includes bouts with anxiety and how he deals with that, as well as his experience in college and injuries that he's had to face and how all of it has made him a stronger person. Drew shares his testimony about living a Christ-like life and his desire to make an impact beyond football. I hope you enjoy this story. If you do, please screenshot this, tag me and Drew, and share it on your story or any of your social media outlets. We'd love to get this story out. Thanks so much for joining. Let's get to it. Hi, Drew. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Brittany, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from my home here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I just drove home um, from school at Notre Dame. Awesome. So you just graduated. How's that feeling? Oh, man, it feels great. Um, tough four years, but so excited to... Uh, have finished that and have that accomplishment and um, just so grateful to have had my friends and family there this past weekend um, to really celebrate that and, and ceremonially and, and uh, just be able to be there with friends and family it was a really good time. Yeah, definitely. I can't imagine just going through all the time you went through. You had a pretty successful career at Notre Dame. What are your thoughts on going into your future now. So what are your plans and what do you think you're going to be doing from here on out? Yeah. So I just, this past year actually had a pretty tough time discerning what my future might look like. Um, I just got engaged to the love of my life about a year ago in July. Uh, we got engaged over in Iceland. Um, that's a story in and of itself. I'll say for another time, but (laughs) we're getting married here in about a month and a half. And so, around December last year, I was, I actually graduated um, and I was trying to discern whether I wanted to pursue the NFL at that time or come back and play my fifth year. Um, The reason I had a fifth year was I actually tore my ACL in my sophomore season, um, which is something I'll get into a little bit later, Mm -hmm. but I got granted a medical red shirt. So I was kind of in this predicament of, of discernment and trying to figure out, you know, what's best for me and what's best for my fiance and I's future um, as she's seeking to pursue grad school and and such. So I actually ultimately ended up deciding and through prayer and through um, consultation with with mentors and family coaches that the best option for me was to come back and play my fifth year I haven't yet played the position that the NFL is scouting me at. And so mm-hmm. I felt with my coaching staff in place, I just love the coach I have now 
Clark Lee at linebackers, and he just really does a great job. And so I'll be coming back this next year to play my fifth year. Um, I've got my degree in mechanical engineering, and so now I'm just I'm really taking classes that are more interesting to me and um, and thought provoking to me. I took a Heart's Desire class, which is kind of the, a theology class, and so I'm doing some different classes that I really wasn't able to do in the engineering curriculum. Mm-hmm. So I'll be doing that in football, and then when December comes around and our our season's op- over, hopefully in January after the national championship came, I'll uh, I'll pursue the NFL. So that's kind of what the next year looks like for me. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like you had a lot to think over and a lot of um, decisions to make, but seems like kind of prayer and all those people guided you in the right way. So that's awesome. You said um, you majored in mechanical engineering. How was balancing that with Division One football? It was burdensome. It was uh, – <laughs> It was something I, I definitely struggled with at first and continued to struggle with throughout my career. I was always, I was always learning new things um, of how to balance life, uh, football, school, um, how, to, how to balance doing well, but to also not uh, just completely involve myself in that to where I'm neglecting my relationships with teammates and potential you know people that I could be discipling in my community and so um, it was a it was an ongoing struggle I remember my first semester freshman year when I first got to Notre Dame I arrived I was a freshman you know I was ambitious to, to play in the fall and to help our team win football games and I was ambitious to get out of the blocks early and, and do well in the classroom and I was ambitious of you know sticking this long distance relationship out with my girlfriend who was going to be going to Purdue at the time and a lot of different moving parts. I'm the oldest of five kids. So moving out of the house, being the first one to move out, it was, you know, I'm kind of the guinea pig and, you know, what was that going to be like? And I remember, you know, breaking down and crying multiple times in my dorm room to my mom and just a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of figuring things out. Um, I remember we have student student points on a on our student ID cards, and you can use those to get meals around campus. And I didn't figure that out until about December of the first semester of my freshman year, and I'd been spending the money out of my savings account. And one of my teammates goes, "Dude, why don't you just use the student points on our cards?" And so it's just small things like that that you know make change difficult and uh, make transition difficult and getting back kind of more to the engineering side of things is, you know, you've got a a massive workload with problem sets and it's challenging and, you know, your classmates, you don't necessarily get to spend the most time with them because you're doing football and, you know, they're meeting up and doing problem sets and homework. And so it's kind of hard to fit in a little bit. And so just a lot of different things um, that challenge you. But, you know, I think those are the moments where your faith and your trust and the Lord grow most. Um, and so I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, that seems incredibly challenging, but trying to balance all that probably taught you a lot in the end. So um, you mentioned anxiety and dealing with that a bit. Um, where did that all start for you? And how has that affected in your life? How has that affected your life and your faith and everything that you've had to deal with? 
Yeah, anxiety for me has been something I've struggled with since I was a kid. Um, you know, Paul talks about a thorn, you know, in his side and asking the Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. For, for me, anxiety has been one of those thorns in my life that has been an ongoing problem and something that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly still dealing with on a daily basis. Um, and it's gotten so much better. It was really, really severe when I was a young kid. Um, I remember uh, when I was around fourth or fifth grade, we had a close family friend who um, typically the mom took the kids to school. Um, they had one child that was a year below me and went to my school. And then they had a three-year-old son who went to daycare down the street. And one morning the mom was busy. So the dad decided to take the kids to school. Um, and these were close family friends of mine, people I saw weekly. And the dad, it was a summer day and took the daughter to school. And then the little boy had fallen asleep in the back of the car and he totally forgot about him. And so he went to work and the child got trapped in the car and uh, passed away, unfortunately, um, in a scorching car on a summer day there in, in Tennessee. And from that moment on, um, I think that really instigated, I think, the anxiety or made it boil over a little bit in my heart. Um, I was deeply, deeply afraid of like the idea of death and what, you know, that looks like and how that can be me at any moment in time you know my life could be taken away and deeply afraid of that and um, I remember when I was about 10 probably a year or two later my family went with uh, another close family friends of ours to see the Chronicles of Narnia um, C.S. Lewis um, book and it had just come out in the movie and we were sitting in the theater and multiple times throughout the movie I had claimed I had to go to the bathroom, but it was really because I was having panic attacks throughout the movie and struggling to breathe and feeling claustrophobic in the theater. And eventually when it got to the crucifixion of Aslan, I like had run out of the theater and I was gone for about 10 minutes. And it wasn't until my mom came running out that my family actually realized that I struggled with anxiety and I was laying on the, theater bench there in the lobby just flush in the face and my mom just broke down like honey like what's wrong and I'm like mom like I'm really like struggling like with anxiety and specifically like just the fear of death um and from then she took me to the doctor I never ended up going on medicine and I think that wasn't needed because of the way like she loved me and really exhibited, I think, a Christ-like love in my life. And I think, you know, whether any we're going through depression, anxiety, um, whatever we might be going through in our own minds, like, it's Christ's love that, like, can set you free from that. And for me, it was m my mom in that moment. I remember her getting a picture frame and hanging it above my bed every night where I would most of the time have my panic attacks right at bedtime. Um when the room got dark and everyone kind of went to bed and I was alone, she got a picture that said, I will lie down and sleep in peace. O Lord, for you will keep me safe. Um, and that's right out of the Psalms written by David. And I just remember that being a real comforting thing for me. And I would tell myself that time and time again. And I think in any of our lives, whenever we're going through something, 
and we experience um, turmoil or challenge or anxiety, whatever your thorn might be, as Paul says, I think it's important that you don't allow those lies to just, you know, perturbate in your mind and, and continue to happen in your mind. I think it's important that you remind yourself and tell yourself truth, um, fundamental truth from the word of the Lord. And that's what permeates the mind and that's what sets you free. Um, and so that's kind of my early onsets with anxiety. That's eventually what led me to a relationship with Christ um, when I was 10 years old. Um, I remember our, our pastor, it was a sermon really convicting about, you know, heaven and hell. And I was like, I don't want to be the one ended up in hell. Um, so it was more of a, um, a call to salvation for me. Um, but obviously, you know, that's what, that's what faith is about. It's a growing process. Um, you know, you begin as a baby and you just continue to grow. And so that's been my, a little bit of my struggle with my thorn. But it's an ongoing thing even to today um, and continues, whether it's before games or before exams or proposing to my fiance. <laughs> um, yeah. You say you still struggle with it today. What do you think? How have you learned to kind of deal with it? You mentioned kind of just absorbing yourself in the truth kind of help set you free. But what are some tools that you use today to kind of continue to work on it and continue to um, improve and not have it affect your life in such a negative way? Well, I think two, two practical tools I would, I would give anyone would be one, be mindful of who you're surrounding yourself with. Um, if you're surrounding yourself and maybe, maybe it's unavoidable. Maybe you have coaches who are just tearing you down um, and it's just constant negative talk leading to negative self-talk like you need to make sure like you're surrounding yourself with teammates and peers that are that are pouring positive self-talk into you that are pouring the right thoughts into you um, you know because our thoughts control our emotions which control our physiological response which ultimately control our performance and so it's imperative that we we learn to master our thoughts so one surround yourself with people who are going to allow you to have that positive self-talk Two, it's like you said it's, it's pouring yourself into the truth um if you look at the story of jesus in the desert and you know like satan like he's a deceiver he's smart like you have to give him credit for that he knows how to tempt you he knows where you're weak he knows when you're vulnerable like when jesus was vulnerable in the desert when he was hungry when he was thirsty when he was weak um you know when he was famished when he was just fatigue like satan attacked him in those moments and the one thing jesus relied on was truth and he rebuked um the serpent with truth and that's what we have to do in those moments that's what we have to do when we wake up in the morning that's what we have to do before we go to practice so set a verse in your locker set an inspirational quote in your locker that that keeps you that keeps you going that reminds you uh day by day um of the truth and I'll add one more because I think this has been really important to my understanding. It's don't take yourself too seriously. Um, I'm a pretty serious, I'm a pretty serious guy, but I've, I've learned in the last two years to, to laugh more. Um, I have a quote on my bathroom mirror that says laughter breeds resiliency. Laughter is the quickest way to get back up when you get knocked down. 
Um, and so I encourage people to just have a laugh. Don't take yourself so seriously and put expectations on you um, that were meant to only be handled by the one who could save at the cross, and that's Jesus. Yeah, definitely. And I think in sports, definitely, and, and in other things, like engineering, all the things that you've been through, it's so easy to take yourself really seriously with all the things you have and all the pressure that's on you, playing Division One football and everything. And even for me, um, playing soccer growing up, I was just super intense, right? And so that would almost be my biggest default when I was younger is because I couldn't laugh at myself. I couldn't kind of, if I made a mistake, let it go. And I think learning to let it go is super important in not just sports, but everything in life. Like learning to let those little mistakes or imperfections go and just try to do your best. So I think that's definitely a really important one. So Absolutely. Yeah, so going back to the beginning, um, where did football start for you and what was that like growing up? Yeah, so I was I was an athlete from a young age. My mom put my brothers and I in, in sports since I was three years old. I played baseball, t-ball starting at three. I started tackle football at five and six years old. We were out there just flopping on each other. Um, and so I've been around the game for a long time now. Um, it's been part of my life, part of my identity for a long time. And something I love to do is something I'm passionate about. I love the competitive spirit of the game. I love what the game teaches you about life. And it's taught me so much, and I'm so thankful for it. It's given me the opportunity to get a world-class education at Notre Dame. Um, and it's just taught me so much, so many things, whether it's time management, work ethic, um, learning to, to work for something in order to receive something. It's taught me, you know, trust in the Lord. It's taught me, you know, teamwork, how to work on a team, how to leadership, how to lead, how to recognize what make guys tick. And so honestly, just really thankful for the game. And it's, it's become a big part of, of who I am. Definitely. So throughout college, um, throughout your youth career too, what have been some of your kind of setbacks? I know we've talked about injury. What does that look like for you? Yeah, so injury has been interesting in my career. I never had an injury until I got to Notre Dame. I had been, the worst thing I had ever done was I broke um, my left ulna playing baseball in a baseball tournament when I was like 14 or 15 years old. Um, but I was still able to put a, my glove over my cast and like play. So there was nothing that had really like kept me from, from playing the game and taking my ability to do something that was so important to my life, which was playing the game, whether it was baseball or football and fast forward to Notre Dame, my freshman year, um, you know, going in, I was, you know, like I mentioned earlier, very ambitious to just. One, prove everyone wrong that had told me I wouldn't be able to play Division One football. Um, but two, just to prove to myself um, that I was in the right place and that I could play at the Division One level and play competitively and help my team win. Um, and so I worked my way into a, a starting position 
um, at safety. And it was the uh, second to last game of the season. We were playing Louisville, and um, quarterback was scrambling, and I, you know, made a tackle as he was coming across the middle, and my knee kind of got hyperextended underneath me. I I didn't think much. I I'd, I'd felt similar things before and thought I just might have hyperextended my knee. They checked me at halftime, and said, you know, you're good. Your ACL's intact. Um, you just probably hyperextended it. So I played the rest of the second half, you know tenderly like cutting on it like not trying to avoid using uh my left leg as much as i could come to find out the next day you know they're like you know what i just want to i want to make sure and and do an mri um and i get news that sunday night that i had torn my acl and that was that was crushing for me i had never experienced something in my life where I was going to be unable to do something that I loved for, you know, eight months. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to that anxiety that I've struggled with. Like, am I ever going to be the same player again? Am I ever going to be able to, you know, pursue my dreams at the NFL? Like at the time, ACL was just kind of on the cusp of being like a career ending injury. Like that was around the time Adrian Peterson had just done the 2000 yard season. And so it was like, yeah, you know, for most guys, it's like they'll never be the same player again. But there was there was there were glimmers of hope that you know you could come back and and be competitive. So um, that's what I did. I you know I laughed a little bit, um, got back up and started attacking my rehab. You know, eight months of grueling rehab, got back on the field. You know, and sophomore season's coming around, and I have just goals to be an All American and to really make an impact this year. And, you know, I'm having a good first three games. We get to the third game, and I'm balling out at this point. Like, I'm having the best game of my career. I've got seven tackles in the first half, one for a loss. I've got two pass breakups. And one of the pass breakups happened right before halftime. Um, you know, this is we're going against number 15, Georgia Tech. Like, we're 13th in the country right now, trying to get to the top 10. And I go up, deflect the pass in the end zone, and my buddy comes running down the field to chest bump me, and I jump up with him, and I just come down in agonizing defeat as my foot gets caught in the ground, and I, my knee torques in, and I just completely shred my right knee, tearing my ACL and some of my meniscus. Um, luckily, the meniscus was fully repaired, um, but I had just torn my second ACL within a year and that was crushing for me um, to go through something where you work so hard and you feel like God's being faithful and redeeming you and taking you back to where you were and taking you to newer heights and to get dropped back down below where I started was crushing. Um, and you want to talk about anxiety and all the things I've already talked about. It was, it was very, very difficult. Um, and I remember the Lord works in strange ways because my brother, who plays at Western Michigan a year younger than me, had actually a week later tore his second ACL. Hmm. And so to be able to walk with him through that um, was really encouraging. And we pushed ourselves. And it was really emotional to be able to have him by my side. Um, And, 
you know, that goes back to surrounding yourself with people who are going to push you and encourage you on a day-to-day basis. And my brother did that for me. Um, and we did that for one another. And, um, you know, that was, that was a big reason I was able to come back from that second ACL and came back my junior season and started all 12 games and then into my senior season last year and started all 13 games. And so, um, it's been a, a constant road to recovery, but I've, I've come to realize that, you know, at any moment in life, anything can be taken away from you. The one thing that can't is your story, um, and how you'll be remembered and the impact you're leaving on others. And so, you know, whether you have a career ending injury or whether you have an injury that is only going to last six months, maybe it lasts a year, like people will remember more about you on how you responded and how you acted in those times when you were weakest and you were most vulnerable. Um, people will remember you for that more so than what you've done in the field. Um, and that's what people, that's the encouragement I get all the time is when people come back and say like, you know, just the way you handled and went about, you know, your recovery and, and the way you worked and just put your head down and encouraged, still encourage your teammates. Like that's what people remembered most about that. And so to just be conscious and aware of, you know, how you're acting and how you're treating others at all times, regardless of what situation or circumstance you you might be going through, um, is really important. And secondly, just God's faithfulness. Um, he's faithful day, morning, night, um, any and all time he is there and it's not always on our timing, but his timing ultimately is best. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, um, just kind of, how the second time was hard to imagine that you just came back from everything and then it happened again. Do you think there was a mentality switch from the first time it happened to the second in the way that you dealt with it after the fact, or was it harder? I would say the first three days were definitely harder. Um, Just trying to get over that mental hurdle of, having worked so hard to come back from something and being sent back to square one, it's kind of debilitating mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually. But after that, after I, you know, stood up and realized that I can't change the past, but I can't control my reaction. Once I realized that, um, it was almost a bit easier because I knew what to expect, but the recoveries were, were different in and of themselves. Um, and just the processes I had to go through. So there were still learning curves, but um, it was it was a bit easier yeah. after I finally got over that first hurdle. Yeah. You mentioned that kind of your faith throughout kind of grew, but at the beginning, did you have any questions? Because you're here trying to prove something, you just come back. Did you ever wonder, you know, why is this happening? Like you said, sometimes it's not in your timing it's more in God's hands but did you ever kind of question that and through that did your faith grow yeah I'm always asking myself and I think that's the question a lot of people ask themselves is why did this happen to me you know and sometimes it's on a more severe scale maybe you lose a family member or maybe you know your parents get divorced or maybe you know you were born with a disability or 
a mental illness or maybe you're going, you know, through a loss of a friend and a loss of a friendship and things that are way more, way more burdensome than, you know, an eight month rehab for an injury. People ask themselves this question all the time, you know, why me? And it's a question that, you know, I'm continually, continually seeking answers to, but it goes back to just reminding yourself of truth. And that's just of God's goodness and a God who is willing to send his own son to die on a cross so that he might be with us. That's the most loving act that could ever be, be done. And the, the sad thing is we're, you know, we're part of a broken world that we chose. Um, we chose brokenness and we chose suffering for ourselves. And that's not what God's intentions were. Um, and, you know, when we look around and we see, you know, the mass school shootings taking place and people's lives being taken and, you know, even on smaller scales, you know, injuries and career ending injuries and, and things happen, our, our natural inclination is to say, you know, why does God allow good things or bad things to happen to good people? And it's a question I think we'll continue to ask ourselves and we might never have, have the answer to, um, but I, I, th- I really believe that God isn't allowing bad things to happen to good people. I think he's good in and of his nature. Um, and I think he can bring good out of any bad situation. And I've seen that. I've seen, I've seen lives come to Christ through loss, through death. I've seen um, relationships renewed through injury and, and support. Um, and so, like I said earlier, it's, it's so much about controlling your response and people are watching, people are watching how you'll respond. Um, and so it's, it's just so important to be aware of that and to see the good and be aware of the good that God's trying to do amidst such a dark time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's hard to look at all these things happening and be like, well, why couldn't he stop that or something? But I totally agree with that. You know, he is good and there's a reason for everything. And, um, the fact that we have our own free will is, is great, but Mm -hmm. I think, um, he's definitely trying to change lives for good and it's what you got to hold on to with faith. So, um, you've definitely shared so many good lessons through the things you've gone through. And I'm sure there's so many other ones that you have. Um, but just to end how, if you could go back, um, to the beginning when you started sports, started football, what are two or three pieces that you'd want to share with yourself from the beginning with what you've learned throughout your career? I think the first would be to remain resilient in all times, to never, to not allow myself to quit. I think that's one of the most thankful things or things that I'm most thankful for rather. And at a young age, you know, it was my mom, it was my grandfather, it was my siblings, my father that, that helped me push through some, some tough times and challenging times where I might want to have wanted to give up on myself. Um, 
And so no matter how tough things get, like the end result and the things, you know, the Lord wants to do and, and craft and mold during those tough times and forge in you are way more important than any small challenge or difficulty you might be going through. Um, two is just relish the relationships. It's so easy to, you know, to get frustrated with yourself on a bad practice or a bad game and to lose that time in the locker room, to lose that time, you know, out to eat or, you know, maybe it's after a game and, you know, you're recovering and spending time or maybe it's watching a movie on a, on a weekend or weeknight with your, with your teammates, like relish those moments. Those are the moments that will last. And those are the things that are important. And, you know, the Lord calls us to be fishers of men. And, you know, there's lost people even within our locker rooms. And so ministry is always an opportunity and we always must be aware of that. It's not about us. It's bigger than us. It's not about how we practice or how we performed. Like there's a much bigger, you know, battle going on than our personal battle with the game. Um, and three, just, just be open-minded to what the game is wanting to teach you. Um, being aware of, of each stage and each season you might be going through on the field. Maybe it's one of success in which is trying to teach you humility, or maybe it's one of, of hardship in which it's trying to forge resiliency um, and teach you, you know, mental fortitude um, and strength. Or maybe it's trying to build a deeper trust with the Lord. Um, those three things would, would be important for my young self. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've touched on this a lot as well, just how you want to be off the field. But my next question would be, if you weren't to have football in your life at all, no football, um, and you just had to be defined by your character, um, who you are, what are some things that you would want to be remembered for and what impact do you want to make on this world um, besides football, besides this sport? Yeah, it's an important question. I think it's a question about identity. And I think before we can talk about identity, I think you have to talk about dignity um, before you get to identity. And dignity, um, I take this from my pastor, Jason Miller, from South Bend City Church um, in South Bend. But dignity, we all have dignity. We all were made in God's image, and it was good. Um, and so our dignity is is image bearers of God. From there, we can go to identity then and my identity and identity in and of itself is unique to the individual God made each and every one of us unique um, in his own image and so for me obviously football is a big part of that identity is it my whole identity no um, I would hope that people would remember me more than just a you know player on the football field I hope they rem would remember me as a loving husband as a God-fearing father as a um, loyal and compassionate friend, as a hard worker, um, as a man of integrity, as a man who um, put his best foot forward each and every day, um, who, you know, did his best to present quality work in everything that he did, who cared about relationships and the people he was investing in. And so it's those 
you know, sometimes intangible things that I think are the most important that I would hope people would talk about um, in my eulogy at my funeral. Totally. And I think you've already begun to make that impact. And I've noticed that um, despite football, despite your dreams, you're trying to reach out to others and kind of make them better. So um, it's really inspiring. And thank you so much for sharing your story today on the podcast. And it was so great to have you. Awesome, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much again for joining, and I hope you enjoyed Drew's story. If you did, please share this podcast and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks so much again, and I hope today's story inspired you to go out, live your story, and don't be afraid to share it.